This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everyone to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, sitting right beside me, Brian Com. Here we are live from Toronto, which we always like to tell you for some reason. I don't know if you notice a difference in the quality of the show, but it makes a difference maybe in the quality of host chemistry. Elon, we have some live banter, we can read facial expressions, and we're going to use all those extra advantages today to tell you all about the latest fantasy hockey news, information, and analysis coming straight from the self-proclaimed experts here at Keeping Carlson. Yeah, I've been very excited for this episode for a few days now. I think it's been a really interesting week in the NHL and for fantasy. A lot of players starting to step up that we wouldn't have expected to do so at this point in the season. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Before we get into all of that, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the best website out there for fantasy hockey. There's nothing more you can say. They've got the line combinations. They've got the starting goalies. Everything you need. Every morning when I get up, first thing I do, read the daily ramblings see their summaries of all the players. Then if as I'm reading the daily ramblings, they mention a player, I'm like, oh, I wonder how that player's been doing the last few games. Click his name, you go to his Dauber hockey player profile, then you can see all of his advanced stats and the game log, and it's it's great. It's a great website. And of course, beyond offering a snippet of news about players on a daily basis and having in-depth player profiles where you can check their stats and numbers, they also have some longer-form articles about specific players taking deep dives. For example... One of our own patrons, Cameron Thomas, posted a great look at Tyler Toffoli that was a great companion, actually, to how we had discussed Tyler Toffoli on the show just previously. It was great to see another perspective, another point of view on Toffoli and his success to date and what we can expect going forward. If you want to know more than you already know from listening to our show, DauberHockey.com is the place to go. Okay, Brian, I want to get this episode started with a game of sustainable or fleeting, okay? This is a game we play when there's some players on hot streaks. We want to know whether or not we can expect them to continue to some extent or whether or not this is just a fleeting mirage. Everyone's going to pick these people up and then two weeks later they're going to end up back in free agency. And there's a lot of players this week that I think fit this bill or at least are worth the discussion. Let's start with Sam Bennett of the Calgary Flames. He, of course, had that amazing four-goal game against Calgary on January 13th. 
He'd actually had also a goal in the game before that against San Jose, and he scored yesterday against Edmonton. So that's six goals in his last three games. Everyone's, of course, been rushing to grab Sam Bennett. But the thing is, before that, he had no points since December 15th, where he had an assist against Nashville. And before that, he had no points since a game on November 24th against Anaheim. So this is really out of nowhere. I remember there was a short run where Sam Bennett was producing, and people were rushing to grab him. But he that had been a long time ago. People had already dropped him. So this is really out of nowhere, Brian everyone wants to know, is this production by Sam Bennett sustainable or fleeting? This has been a real shock to the system, especially since he had gone without a goal in 18 games before going on this three-game run. In fact, in those 18 games, he hadn't even been picking up assists. He had just one lone assist for one lone point in all that time. A stretch that lasted all the way from late November into early January. But now, of course, the headlines have changed. He now has six goals in his last three games on 12 shots on goal. So can it continue? Well, I suppose the little tidbit above is fairly important to note that he has six goals on his last 12 shots. But of course, we'll try and go a little bit deeper than just his shooting percentage. If you take a look at his last two games, he's both matched and broken his previous season high for shots on goal, which is four. He has five and four shots in his last two games. And he's also returned to playing 15, 16 minutes a night as of recently, which is an improvement over the 12 to 14 that he had been playing for some parts of that cold stretch. And actually in his last game, he played 18 and a half minutes, which was just about a season high for him. He's also playing right now with Michael Backlund and Michael Froelich, who aren't really the flashiest names you could hope for as line mates in terms of offense, but they are the two names at the top of the list when you sort the Calgary Flames forwards by their possession numbers. Looking deeper at Bennett, his power play time on ice has not gone up significantly, and he's not doing a whole lot different than he was before, as hard as that is to believe. As far as the numbers show, like if I look at him right now, I don't see a huge difference between what's been happening the last three games and what was happening for that 15-game cold stretch outside of that bump in ice time, which came very recently. So I suppose that ice time continuing to come is going to be a help, of course. But aside from that, if I'm just looking at all of the numbers that I usually look at right now, I'm actually not seeing anything to suggest that his 20 points in 42 games to date are more or less than he should have scored at this point, so to speak. So even with that 18-game stretch of being a snoozer and the three-game stretch he's just had right now, I feel like it's all sort of evened out to give him exactly maybe what we can expect from him over the rest of the season, which is a rookie who's doing pretty well and putting up a 45-50 point pace. A 55 point pace would be really something extra special, but I wouldn't value him any higher than that unless he sees a significant change in line mates or deployment. Yeah, this four-goal game for Bennett, that reminded me a lot of what happened during season one of Keeping Carlson when Tomas Hurdle had a four-goal game and everyone went crazy about him, picked him up. He was later dropped in leagues. And I'm not saying that the same player, and actually Tomas Hurdle's having a nice little run right now on the top line on San Jose, but I just have a feeling, at least for this season, it's not going to be happening like this for Sam Bennett moving forward. Maybe you could try to ride this hot streak, pick him up for a couple of games, but don't expect, like, don't drop someone big from your lineup and expect Sam Bennett to be the guy that's going to take that spot for the rest of the season into your fantasy playoffs. Like you said, he's not like on the top line or the top power play, taking more shots lately, but mm, not enough for me to pick him up in a deepish league. So we've got a fleeting for Sam Bennett. And of course, this is kind of binary. Maybe there's more shades of gray, but if we're going to say sustainable or fleeting, seems like we're saying fleeting. Okay, so you're not happy about three games of production after not having done much for the past couple of months. How about we 
Go then from Sam Bennett, who's done that, to a player who has six goals and three assists in his last six games. Nine points. I'm talking about Bo Horvat of the Vancouver Canucks. Like I said, these are names we weren't expecting to talk about when the week started, but this has been an amazing run by Horvat. And unlike with Sam Bennett, I am seeing some changes on the Canucks that have led to this. So this doesn't seem like it's completely out of nowhere. For example, Yannick Hansen got injured, and he was playing on the top line with the Sedins. And no, Horvat hasn't gotten there, but he has been getting more power play time. Also, Brandon Sutter got injured, which led to Horvat getting on the second line, getting more ice time. So there have been some things happening that makes it look like maybe this could be sustainable. But at the same time, just like Bennett, Horvat wasn't really producing much before this six-game stretch. But hey, six games is better than three games. So Brian, is this production by Bo Horvat sustainable or fleeting? Well, let's start with some of the parallels between Horvat and Bennett. They both had those runs earlier on in the season. It couldn't last. And then, like Bennett, Horvat recently found himself in a terrible slump, just two points in 17 games played, and he hadn't scored a goal in 27 games. This run also brings Horvat up to a similar point pace as Sam Bennett is at now, now that Horvat has 19 points in 45 games played on the season. But there is a fork in the road here between Horvat and Bennett when I take a look at their underlying numbers. And this isn't to say that, unlike Bennett, Horvat has been treated egregiously terribly by the hockey gods, but Horvat probably could have stood to see a couple more pucks go in off of his and his teammates' sticks. He's also registered two or more shots on goal in nine consecutive games and counting. And before you try and shrug that off, note that Horvat had not even managed to string together three consecutive games of accomplishing that feat until this current run this year. He's also got that power play promotion that you mentioned, Elon, working in his favor. He has four power play points in his last six games. That accounts for nearly half of his total production in this little run. And I guess the test is really going to be when Yannick Hansen comes back, which could be as soon as today, which is Sunday, does Horvat get to stay on that top power play line? Does he still keep getting those opportunities? If he does, I like him as more than a half point per game guy over the course of the rest of the season. If he does get bumped down to the second unit, however, I do expect him to be more of a 50 point guy. Hey, even a 50 point guy is better than what he was doing before. True, and I should clarify because I said he can be above a half point per game player. So I guess I'm seeing a difference in him being able to be on like a 50 point pace without the power play time or a 50 plus point pace with that first unit power play time. So that's what you want to keep an eye on if you're weighing whether or not to pick up Bo Horvat. See what happens when Yannick Hansen comes back and where Horvat ends up slotting in on the power play. So Brian, it sounds like you're saying that you expect this amazing run by Bo Horvat to also be fleeting. You don't think that he's going to be able to maintain a pace like this once he's off of this nice power play unit? Even if he stays on the same power play unit, he's not going to be a point-per-game player or more. This is a great run for him to be on. I can see him starting to put up points every other game, though. So if I say that he's fleeting, you might think that he's going to not score at all or go on another, you know, 27-game goalless drought. But that's not what I'm suggesting. I think this is an exaggeration of what could be sustainable production from him. I do want to differentiate how I feel about him versus how I feel about Sam Bennett this year. I would say fleeting for both if you're looking just relative to their current point streaks, but I do like Horvat more as a producer going forward. Okay, yeah, well, I think for everyone that we mentioned in this segment, we're going to be saying fleeting if we're talking about relative to their production in the past few games, because all these people have, like, more than a point a game lately, but... 
Very interesting to hear. You like Horvat a little better than Bennett. I think for both of them, the issue is maybe they don't have the best line mates or they won't have the best people to play with, both even strength and power play moving forward. So then let me then take you to another player. How about Vladislav Nemestikov? He's got three goals and five assists in his last four games. Of course, all three of those goals came as a hat trick against Pittsburgh in Tampa's last game. But before that, you know, he was getting some production. And the reason for this, I would think, I would think it has to be because he's on the top line now with Steven Stamkos and Andre Palat. Not shabby as line mates. Definitely better than the guys we were talking about before, the Sven Berchies and the Mikhail Backlunds. Also, Nemesnikov has been playing on the top power play with Stamkos, Philpola, Callahan. I guess Tampa's really been moving people around in terms of these lines and these power plays, so I don't know how long that will last, but at least as long as Nemesnikov is on the top line, do you see him continuing to produce? He's got 23 points in 44 games overall on the season, so he wasn't doing too much before, but we're talking about another young guy, 23, I guess older than Horvat and Bennett. Brian, Vladislav, Nemesnikov, sustainable or fleeting? Here's another guy who is on a super long goal drought. Now, the points hadn't dried up quite the same way that Horvat and Bennett had, but he had gone 24 games played without a goal. In fact, he just broke that drought with a hat-trick in his most recent game when this little streak started and he started popping up on everybody's radar. He just had been collecting assists to that point. But a lot of the talk about this is that, well, Nemesikov is now playing with Stamkos, but if you take a look, there is no forward on the Tampa Bay Lightning with whom Nemesikov has spent more time on the ice this season. His most common line mate has been Steven Stamkos, and in that time, he's done, like, okay. He's over a half point per game on the season, well, thanks to this little run especially, and he has been the beneficiary of his line mate's play, and I think the recent story of Vladislav Nemesnikov is closely tied to the recent story of Steven Stamkos, who is now putting together one of his most consistent stretches of scoring this season. And we know the whole Stamkos on the wing thing has been difficult for him, but it's going well lately, seven points in his last six games while being centered mostly by Vladislav Nemesnikov. So I wonder if we're finally seeing that change of the guard on that top line in Tampa. We know Stamkos is going to be up there. And then ever since St. Louis left, it had been bit pieces going back and forth on the wings of Stamkos, like Kalorn and Phil Pula and Callahan. I don't know when those guys are going to see another chance for as long as Nemesnikov is seeing right now. I think he's getting close to entrenching himself on that top line to being a solid complementary player for Stamkos. But there definitely is still some room for fluctuation there because Palat is on the top line right now and before it was Kucherov who was playing with Nemesnikov and Stamkos. I still expect the triplets to be moved around a fair bit over the rest of the season, but I think at this point at least I'm confident that Nemesnikov is going to remain in that top six for the most part. Also, fun fact, he's Slava Kozlov's nephew. Well, Brian, why didn't you just say that in the first place? You wouldn't have even had to do this whole rundown. Of course, sustainable. But okay, it sounds like from what you're saying that you're higher on Nemestnikov than you are on Bennett and Horvat. Based on the presumption that he stays on that top line and that Stamkos is starting to figure things out playing on the wing, like Stamkos only has about 11-12 more points than Nemestnikov on the season. So Nemestnikov only is 23 But the star scorer on his team with the same amount of games is not terribly far ahead. So I think with Stamkos rolling and Nemesnikov getting to stay, well not by his side, but at his center, I think good things are to come. And I know that might be a little hard to believe because you look down at Nemesnikov's game log and there isn't really a run like Horvat or Bennett have had before their current runs. But I like him more as a steady-as-she-goes sort of player. You might not get production every game. In fact, you might not get production 
every other game. He also doesn't take a lot of shots on goal either, but if you're looking for a steady depth guy to have in that position on your roster that you're not going to be streaming in and out in a fairly deep league, I think Nemesnikov might be the guy I go with. Okay, and I guess in that same vein, then let's talk about another player who's had a nice run for longer than just a few games. He's actually on a 12-game run with 13 points in that span. I'm talking about Sean Couturier of the Philadelphia Flyers, another 23-year-old, just like Nemesnikov, and he is doing fantastically lately. It's hard to ignore at this point, and unlike Nemesnikov, he's not really playing with great line mates either. He's with Shen and Michael Roffel. He's on the second power play unit, so he's been getting all of these points from the second line, and really, we should have talked about him last week, right? Like, he's got 13 points in his last 12 games, all spread across them, so this has been happening for a while. Finally, he's making us notice him. At one point, I was just thinking, okay, this obviously won't last. This is just Sean Couturier, but here we go. He had a great two-point game against the Islanders a couple of games ago, got an assist yesterday against the Rangers. These points just keep coming, and are they going to continue? Is this production sustainable, or is it fleeting? Couturier started the season as I think most people would have expected. He had one goal in his first 17 games. There was a little bit where he was injured in that stretch. And now in his last 19 games, though, his eight goals, which is a huge swing from pretty much what we've ever seen from Sean Couturier before. But let's not forget that this isn't something that we never expected to see from Sean Couturier. Now, he had been deployed as mostly like a third-line checking center in Philadelphia in the early stages of his career, really rounding himself into a strong defensive player who could do very well against other teams' top opposition in terms of preventing them from scoring and maybe putting in a point or two for himself along the way. But now we're seeing that real offensive skill that we thought was going to come and that we thought the Flyers were going to want to use him for when they drafted him with the pick that they acquired from Columbus in the Jeff Carter deal. Now, it needs to be noted that he did have some help in getting started on this run. He was centering Jacob Voracek and Wayne Simmons, who, of course, are going to help any centerman start putting up points. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, he was moved off that line onto a line with Shannon Roffel, and the question was, well, what should I do with him now? Should I wait and hope he gets up to that top line? Because right now, when he's on that second line, he's probably not worth rostering. And we have found out in the meantime that we might have been wrong about that. He has now spent four games centering that second line in Philadelphia, and he has managed to notch four points while doing so. Now, the one concern with Couturier is his shooting percentage does seem a tad high at even strength particularly, but perhaps his days of being limited to a checking role are over, and now he's going to be given some reins offensively to score goals the way we saw he could as a prospect before coming into the NHL and being given this non-scoring role. So I'm really happy to see Sean Couturier sort of maturing into a very strong two-way player. A lot of his numbers suggest that he is capable of playing the role of first-line center. And at this point, of all the guys we've talked about, he is the must-own player in your league. Wow, well, Brian, he's only owned in 44% of leagues in ESPN, so with such high praise... I guess we can expect that number to go up. I guess it probably will keep going up if he continues to produce like this. But Brian giving him a sustainable stamp in Sustainable or Fleeting? Wow, maybe I should start looking to add Sean Couturier. Yeah, reasonably sustainable as long as he stays in a top six role and he is given the freedom to produce offensively. One thing that might be counting against him in terms of ownership in fantasy leagues is that he is only eligible to be played as a center, at least in ESPN. And I'd imagine that's consistent across other platforms as well. 
this run does not really necessarily differentiate himself from the top of the free agent fodder sort of center pile that we're used to seeing there. And true, maybe I need to qualify this as a must-own in leagues with some kind of depth, like he is still available in my cupful league as of today as well. But I don't think it would be unreasonable to start expecting him to produce at at least a half point per game pace the rest of the way for the first time in his career, and I'm really hoping that he can do even better than that. Well, it's been a really great run so far, and not in just a handful of games. You know, we're talking like 12 games already. Plus, he's getting a lot of his points at even strength, so that's always good because that means that even if he's taken off the power play, he's not even on the top power play and he's still doing this. I guess we'll have to wait and see. We'll definitely have to come back to the Flyers and Sean Couturier at some point and check in and see how he's doing. Let's move on to talking about the Anaheim Ducks now. I already wanted to bring up... Jacob Silverberg and Ryan Kessler, who are finally heating up. Silverberg has had two straight two-point games, a goal and assist against Ottawa, goal and assist against Dallas. He also had a two-assist game four games back against St. Louis, so that's six points in his last four games. A really nice run for Jacob Silverberg, and he's been playing on the second line with Ryan Kessler, who, as you may expect, has also been doing pretty well lately. He's got six points in his last seven games, and actually Kessler is a guy who we keep getting asked about, you know, like, should I keep this guy or Ryan Kessler? It's always like, why are you keeping Kessler? And then they go, oh, no, my league counts peripherals. It's really good for hits and face-offs. But even for points now, Kessler's getting some points. And the third guy on their line was Carl Hagelin, but he's just been traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins for David Perron. So let's focus on the Anaheim side of things. Now it's likely, I guess, that Perron will just take Hagelin's spot on the second line. So it'll be Kessler, Silverberg, and Perron. Is this good news for Perron and for the other Ducks on his line? Or do you think that this is fleeting production from all of them? This is a little tricky for me because I totally understand that their fates are somewhat linked if Silverberg and Kessler are playing on a line together right now. But I have a little more faith in Silverberg being the real deal here than Kessler. Although if Silverberg is the real deal, then Kessler can ride coattails, so to speak, to start putting up more points than he has to date this season. A very big disappointment in terms of offense from anyone who was expecting it, which you probably shouldn't have been, seeing as over the last two seasons, he has been nothing better than a half-point-per-game guy at best. The reason, though, that I am particularly excited about Silverberg is this number, 22. That is the number of shots he has put on net in his last five games played. In fact, his most recent games, he's had five shots and seven shots on goal. And this is a player who we've known for a while, has some offensive acumen, is supposed to be a legit top six forward in the league, but never seemed to really get a consistent turn in that role. And when he did, he either got injured or he just seemed to be cold. If you look at his shooting percentage over his career this year so far, he's a 4.6% shooter. Last year, he was less than 7%, which is not what we would expect from a scoring forward. So I suppose if he keeps taking shots at this volume, we'll get to maybe tease apart whether he's just been snake bitten or has added another dimension to his game now to raise his shooting percentage, or if he is just going to be a low percentage shooter for the duration of his career. In any case, as long as those shots on goal keep coming, that helps temper any ill effects of a low shooting percentage to some extent. And while I'm not rushing to grab him now over a really short run of six points in his last four games, I am definitely watching him to see if he's finally starting to put the game together that we have expected going into both of the last two seasons. Well, I think an interesting thing now about Anaheim having acquired Perron is he used to be a guy that was known for taking a lot of shots. Like in 2013-14 with Edmonton, he had 220 shots in 78 games, 57 points. After that, 
Perron really slowed down, and he hasn't even taken that many shots. Like this season, he only has 114 in 57 games. That's only like two a game. I wonder maybe if it's just been his situation in Pittsburgh, and perhaps on Anaheim he'll be taking shots, and is that going to affect Silverberg's shots? Of course, at the end of the day, if there's shots going on net while you're on the ice, there's a good chance that you might get a point. So it probably would be good. Though I'm curious to know what you think about Perron at this point, because I'm reading the Dauber fantasy impact for this trade, and he's saying that this is going to help Perron because he's going from a crowded situation in Pittsburgh to a more sure top six spot in Anaheim. But that being said, Perron has been playing with Sidney Crosby on the top line for the past few games and really has nothing to show for it. Overall in the year, only has 16 points in 43 games and he was disappointing last year. Do we still think Perron has a resurgence in him to go back to how he was a couple of years ago? Or do you think he's going to continue to disappoint people and eventually become a free agent in all leagues? He probably is a free agent in a lot of leagues. and I think a lot of people have picked him up now because people always get excited and pick up players when they get traded. Is David Perron going to make something happen now in Anaheim? Even though my faith in Perron is still a little shaken because the last time this happened, when he was traded to Pittsburgh, everybody rushed to get him. It was like a huge fantasy hockey event in the season. Everybody was saying how they got him or they just missed him or whatnot. And now he's moving from that situation, which didn't ever really change. Yeah, he bounced around the depth chart quite a bit. But like you said, Elon, recently he was still playing with Crosby and not doing a whole lot. And now he's finding himself in a very similar situation where maybe he slots in as a top line winger alongside two very good scorers. Well, I guess people are thinking he'll be on the second line here with Kessler and Silverberg, but I guess it's not out of the question that he could bump Ricard Raquel from the top line. I guess we'll have to wait and see for that. Yeah, I imagine he starts on the second line, but then he's a piece that can move up and down. We know that first line in Anaheim has been so fluid. So when Perron does get a chance there, and I do think he will, it'll be interesting to see how he does compared to playing with one really good player in Crosby. Although this year he did have a second good player to play with a lot. But he, now he's playing with Getzlaff and Perry, who are a known duo to help anybody on their line put up fairly consistent points. One thing that's been working against Perron over the last couple of years is his shooting percentage. It has gone way down from his career mark. He was shooting just 9% last year, and this year he's just about 4%. Even though he is taking the sort of shots that he was taking, at least in terms of volume, when he had his best career season to date in Edmonton, when he scored 57 points in 78 games with 28 goals as part of that campaign. Although remember, even that campaign was a little bittersweet. He came on so strong at the start of the year, shots and shots and shots and shots, and then he slowed down and tailed off. So I don't really know what kind of a player David Perron is anymore. I don't know what we can expect from him, but I'm interested to see if he can revive his reputation as a decent or complimentary scorer with this change of scenery. Okay, then I guess on the other side, we should mention Carl Haglin goes to the Penguins. Does he take the spot besides Sidney Crosby on the first line? That would be really nice for him, obviously. He's never really done too much fantasy-wise, like his highest ever season point total is 35. But for what it's worth, he's been on a little run. He's got four points in his last four games on Anaheim, so he leaves the team on a hot streak. I wonder if he could continue this hot streak moving to Pittsburgh. Is there any value in picking up Carl Haglin? Seth Rorabaugh of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette has Haglin starting on the second line with Malkin and Kessel, which is better than any line that he's played on so far this season. Just because he's there, I say it's worth paying attention to. Whether or not he's worth already adding to your roster depends on your league format and how deep it is and how quickly free agents tend to go. But I mean, for the last, well, as long as we can remember, any winger getting a turn in the Pittsburgh top six has been at least worth a look to see what happens. And we have been burned a lot lately with trying to guess who the right guy is going to be to slot in there. 
But Hagelin has a really great scoring profile. I liked him a lot when he was with the Rangers. I didn't see a whole lot that I liked in his body of work with the Ducks, albeit it was very small. So we'll see what he can bring to his game in his return to the Metro Division. You know, Brian, as a Hornquist owner, what you just said kind of scares me because I was happy with him playing with Malkin and Kessel, but I guess Hornquist would then move to the top line to play with Crosby and Kunitz, so not too bad of a spot, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with Pittsburgh now that they made this trade, and with Anaheim. This will be fun to follow. Okay, well, fun game of sustainable or fleeting. Definitely, if you've listened to this and decided to pick someone else, let us know. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We'd be curious to know who you decide to take, who you decide to leave in free agency, and hopefully it'll work out for you guys. These are all really interesting players to follow, and we'll be on top of it and we'll let you know if we have any updates on any of these players moving forward. Brian, let's move on to talk about some injuries and outjuries. The really big one from last week, James Van Riemsdyk, just out of nowhere was announced he was going to be out for like six to eight weeks. Really big bummer, actually. I have him in one of my leagues and I guess I shouldn't complain. Probably the Toronto Maple Leafs should complain because JVR was having a pretty decent season. I guess exactly what we expected around a 55 to 60 point pace, taking his shots on goal. Now with him out, someone gets a spot on the top line and on the top power play. So Brian, can you just give us a quick Toronto Maple Leafs update? As we mentioned last week, Sean Mathias has been the one to take Van Riemsdyk's spot on the first line, and he's done okay with it. He has a goal and assist for two points in his last three games while playing in that spot. Eight shots on goal in that time, and you might think that Matthias would also get a role on the power play, which he hasn't seen for a very long time this season. But you'd be wrong if you thought that Josh Levo has been the one who's been called up and then placed right on that top unit in Toronto. Although he hasn't been able to do a whole lot with it, he has no points in three games with four shots on goal. Yeah, you know, now with JVR out, I'm not too excited about any Maple Leafs being able to score too many goals. And lately, you know, that's really been coming true. They have only been scoring one or zero goals, two, I guess, in their last game. But lately, they haven't been able to put too many in the net. I guess this isn't great news. We were all excited about Reimer coming back. I don't know how many wins he's going to be able to get. The Leafs are on a five-game losing streak. It's not looking good right now for the Leafs, and that's a big blow to them to lose JVR and replace him with, who, Josh Levo on the top power play? Well, this may be a big blow in the short term, but in the long term, I'm not sure they're overly upset about how this might affect their standings when it comes to lottery odds for this year's draft. Yeah, that's a good point, I guess. It wouldn't hurt the Leafs to have another prospect. They do have some good prospects, though. It'll be exciting for them to get a little older. We'll see how the Leafs look in a couple of years. So yeah, that's the big injury of the week. And I guess the big outjury of the week would have to be Shane Gostespierre came back for the Flyers yesterday, and he had a great game. Six shots on goal, no points, but he took his rightful spot right back on the top power play unit, which of course means that... Mark Streit was dropped down, and you might be fooled into thinking that Streit's doing okay lately. He did have two games in a row of getting points. He got an assist against the Islanders and a goal against Boston. Neither of those were on the power play, even though he was back on the top power play in Ghost Bears' absence. But overall, he's been taking only like one shot or zero shots a game since coming back from injury, less than 20 minutes pretty much every game. And now that he's off the top power play, Brian, like, can I just say it? Is Mark Streit a snoozer? And I know last week we said a lot of players were snoozers and all of them had great weeks. So maybe this is actually good news for straight owners that I'm going to say this, but I think I'm going to call it. Like, I don't see much value in holding Mark straight. I don't see why we should expect Shane Glossespeher to be knocked off of the top power play unit. Well, before I answer, I'd like to put a call out to any industrious listener who would like to put together a supercut of every time Elon has said Shane Gosper's name on the podcast this season. Now, to get to the actual question, I am worried about Mark Streit's status on that power play. The question is no longer, 
can he produce? That was the question that I kept answering before. Yes, he can still do it. Don't worry about it. I know he's an old guy, but on that top unit, he can be really effective. Now the question is, will he get a shake again on that top unit? Now that for the first time in ages, the Flyers have another option to be their power play quarterback. And it's very telling, perhaps, that Gosper got injured. And then when he came back to the lineup, did not have to wait on the second unit while Strite got to stay on the first. That would have been a very good excuse for the Flyers to leave Strite up there on the first unit. Yeah, but he didn't give them a reason to leave him there. He didn't have any power play points. Sure, okay, but Ghost Bear has also gone two or three games without points before while on that first unit. In any case, I think the Flyers are starting to make their intentions clear that even though Strite is a fantastic candidate to quarterback that top power play unit, we can no longer depend on it happening, which definitely does affect his fantasy value. I don't know if I owned him. I don't think I'd be ready to drop him just yet. I'd like to see another week or two play out to find out whether he really is off that top unit for good. It is really hard to believe that he is such a specialist there and they're not going to give him that opportunity. But again, if they have found a suitable replacement and they don't feel like they're losing any power play goals because of it, and this is somebody that they're going to have around for years in their future, and it's reason for optimism in Philadelphia, well, then maybe all those reasons conspire to keep Mark Stride on the second unit. And if he is on that second unit, his fantasy value takes a tremendous hit. Let's keep in mind, this is a guy who gets a huge percentage of his points over the last couple of seasons on the power play. We've marveled at how many of his total points are thanks to power play contributions. Now, without the ability to make those power play contributions, yeah, there is cause for concern about what he can produce in the future. All right, so Brian says you should let him burn a spot in your roster for a couple more weeks. I say it's safe to drop him. You can make the decision. Let us know which of us ended up screwing you over. It'll probably be one of us. Next on the show, Brian, I want to talk about three goalies. I don't even know if you know about this. This has come really under the radar. There are three goalies who last week we would have said were completely done for fantasy. They were never playing. All of a sudden now, actually one of them maybe not, but okay. Now all these three goalies have played their team's last two games and have done well. So you guys, you play along at home if you could try to guess who we're going to say. I'm going to start with Frederick Anderson on Anaheim. And I feel like just last episode or the one before we were like, okay, finally things seem to be clear in Anaheim. Gibson is the guy. Anderson's hardly playing. Now, all of a sudden, Anderson has gotten two starts in a row, and he won both of them against Ottawa and Dallas. Great save percentages in both. So now, all of a sudden, do we have a tandem again? What's going on? Frederick Anderson, if you dropped him in your league and he's been sitting in free agency, maybe now's the time to take another look? Ugh, so hard. So frustrating. Before I answer your question, I have a question for you. Can we just strike all Anaheim goaltender talk from the show, like for the rest of the season? Can we put a ban on it? Because I feel like no matter what we say and no matter how hard we look into figuring out what's going to happen, it all turns out to be irrelevant the next week. Serious question. Okay, let's move on. The second goalie I wanted to talk about is Jonas Hiller. And you might be thinking, Jonas Hiller, is he still around? What team? He's on Calgary. And yeah, Carrie Ramo had played every game, basically, for the past couple of months, it seemed. But then out of nowhere, they decided, oh, let's give this Jonas Hiller guy another shot. And what do you know? He got the call against Florida a couple games ago. Gets the shutout. No big deal. Then plays against Edmonton. Yesterday, one goal against, 973 save percentage. Doesn't get the win, unfortunately. Loses in the shootout. Ah, Cam Talbot, he's too good. But all of a sudden, Jonas Hiller, two games in a row, both did well. Does this mean now that maybe he's back into like a tandem with Kari Ramo? He's probably a free agent in your league. He's 24% owned in ESPN. Now might be the time to just remember that this guy is a goalie that has had a pretty decent career. Maybe if he could get some more starts, he might be worth taking a look at. 
I'd agree if that were the case, but I'm not necessarily confident that's going to happen. He has stopped 41 of his last 42 shots, but he's come in strangely when Ramo really just had one stumble. And I suppose maybe he came in, he had a shutout, he only saw 15 pucks that night, and maybe the coaches said, okay, let's just throw him out there again. It was a light night, he did really well. And he was able to make the most of that opportunity as well. But meanwhile, Kerry Ramo has been fairly strong for Kerry Ramo over the last seven or eight starts that he's seen. Aside from the 772 save percentage that he put up when he was last on the ice, he's had a run of at least 900 and over games, which is a really positive thing for him. But that is selling short what he's been able to do. If you look at the recent numbers, hit in 939 and 968, a shutout. So I don't think Kerry Ramo is close to being on the outs in Calgary. There's always the thought at this sort of time of year that these goalies are all being showcased for potential trade. But all this to say, I wouldn't put out the banner for Jonas Hiller, 1B goalie, just yet. Okay, and the third guy I wanted to mention, this one I'm not thinking is going to be that big of a deal, but I should mention Calvin Pickard got called for a game against New Jersey. Varlamov hadn't been doing so hot lately. He gets the shutout. Also, just like Jonas Hiller, so he got the next game, and he did okay. Let in two goals against Columbus yesterday, lost the game, though. 19 saves. Brian, is there any reason to be concerned about Varlamov losing starts to Pickard, or is this just the kind of thing, like, give him a couple of games, but Varlamov's definitely still the starter? You know, for a situation in the NHL that I feel very confident that there is a clear number one goalie, and there will be for the foreseeable future, we get this question a lot, and I think Varlamov is going to stay the number one, regardless of Pickard's solid efforts in relief, and maybe it was time for Varlamov to get relief. If you look at the goalies that were being replaced that we're talking about, Ramo, Gibson, and Varlamov, Varlamov was the only one who really looks like he needed it, who had really been turning in a lot of very poor performances, just two quality starts in his last seven. So I think maybe he needed the break, something was up, Pickard's come in and done well, hopefully Varlamov can come back in and reestablish himself, although there isn't much reestablishing to do at this point, because as I said at the start of this answer, I still think Varlamov is the undisputed number one in Colorado. Right, well, yeah, I guess the reason we get asked this question so much is overall, he hasn't had that great of a year, right? Overall, 909 save percentage, he, you know, did badly at first, and he started doing really well, and everyone thought, oh, thanks, guys, for reminding me that I should keep Varlamov, and he's been great. Now he's on another cold run, but hopefully he'll heat up again soon. I agree with you. Definitely don't go drop Varlamov, and I wouldn't really even pick up Pickard for the short term. But if you get a spot start opportunity, and it's already announced that Pickard is going to play, he has proven to be pretty good. Like, he had that shutout. He just came in after not having played for a long time. Shutout. Not too shabby. Okay, and Brian, of course, like always, we have still some players of note we want to get to. But before we do that, I want to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. And we just got an iTunes review saying maybe we pushed the patroning too much. But come on, we don't have any ads, so we're doing our best. A couple minutes, please bear with me. We want to thank the patrons. We have some supportive listeners that we really appreciate. They donate $5 a month to show their appreciation for this little podcast we're putting out. And we say thank you so much for doing so. And, you know, we also have some perks if you become a patron. You could join the patron-only Facebook group, which has been a lot of fun lately. We do our monthly patron casts. And we have one this Wednesday. We're going to be doing it on Blab. We're going to try that out. We were doing Spreecast before. Might as well try out Blab. Be curious to hear from the patrons after what they thought about it. But it's always a lot of fun. We'll be taking your questions. We'll be live. We'll be talking about all the fantasy stuff going on. You know, there's always games happening during the patron cast. We're always chiming in. Oh, goal by Tyler Sagan. Lots of fun. <laughs> so it's not too late if you want to sign up and become a patron. You could join us for the patron cast. Give it a try for a month. See if you like it. See if you like the Facebook group. See if you like supporting this podcast. So thanks to the existing patrons. And if you're interested in becoming a patron yourself, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. 
You know, speaking of our iTunes reviews, sometimes we do read the reviews, and thankfully you guys are all really nice to us. There's one that says, they should be at my beck and call, all caps, three exclamation marks. And we are for our patrons. So if you want, you can become a patron of the show, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Ask us anything you want on Oh, and actually, that was a message now from one of our patrons. Seven days a week, not quite 24 hours a day, but maybe we'll get there someday. You can be a patron, support the show. Not only will you get the perks of being a patron, but you will feel like you are a part of the show when you listen to it every week, and we will give you our undying appreciation. But let's move on, Elon. What's left in this week's episode of Keeping Carlson? Okay, let's do something a little bit unorthodox. We normally don't talk about these types of players because there's kind of no point, but we have to mention Patrick Kane had three goals and an assist in Chicago's last game against Toronto, putting him at 67 points in 47 games on the year. 67 points in 47 games! Last year, the leading scorer in the league had like 93 points. This year, Kane is on pace for like 117. He's now 11 points ahead of the next highest point getter, Jamie Benn, in the Art Ross race. So it's looking like Patrick Kane is running away with this. By the way, Eric Carlson is fourth right now, so that's pretty cool. But we're talking about Patrick Kane. What do we think, like... How good is this guy? Like, next year, Brian, in your fantasy drafts, if you get first overall, let's say in a redraft league, are you taking Patrick Kane first? One impressive feat that he's managed on the way to leading the league in points right now is that he also leads the league in goals and assists. So not only is he creating goals off his own stick, but he's also been successful at generating offense off of his teammates' sticks as well. Yeah, and by teammates, you mean hashtag Team Panarin. Yeah, exactly. So looking at last year's draft order, this is on Yahoo. It looks like it was Ovechkin, Crosby, Stamkos, Sagan, Tavares, Price, Ben Giroux, Malkin. Where does Kane slot in there? I don't know. I'd say like top five forwards for sure. But Elon, do you think he should even be top three? I mean, so who would we be knocking out there? Like, I feel like Tyler Sagan's... Like, this year's been so weird. Like, Sagan has been amazing. Sagan and Ben, just like last year, fantastic. But then there's been all these guys like Crosby and Tavares who haven't been as good as people expected. Even Giroux, though Giroux's obviously been coming on lately. They've all been coming on lately. They've all been good. This is really the kind of thing where we're going to have to reassess at the end of the year. But right now, Patrick Kane definitely making a case for himself. And at some point, we'll have the discussion whether his production this year is sustainable or fleeting for next year. His IPP is up a bit, but aside from that, all of his numbers look pretty much the same as last year, at least his personal numbers. The one that has definitely risen is his on-ice shooting percentage, so that is something we might zero in on in our end-of-season reviews. Okay, with that, Brian, it's got a few more players. I want to get your thoughts on a bit of a lightning round here. How about a couple of guys that could help in leagues that count other categories aside from goals and assists, which we mainly talk about in blocks leagues and leagues with hits? We have to mention Radko Gudas. I can't believe we haven't even mentioned him so far this year. We have people who tell us about, you know, they're trying to decide whether they want to make a move, and they're telling us, okay, well, I can't drop Radko Gudas. And we're like, why not? And he's like, of course, you're in a league that counts hits and blocks. He's amazing for that. I just wanted to shout him out. And plus, he gets, like, some decent shots on goal for a defenseman who blocks and hits so much. A really nice multi-category stud if your league has that type of format. Yeah, but interestingly, he seems to avoid collecting a lot of penalty minutes. I mean, you might expect a lot of the league leaders in hits to rack up a lot of penalty minutes too. That's not really the case, but Gudas is also somebody who seems to get caught making a borderline hit like once every two or three games. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a hockey fan who has not seen three questionable hits by Gudas at some point or another over the course of this season. 
And I guess since we're talking about things like hits and blocks, let's zero in on blocks. Someone who has really come on lately, Carl Alsner on Washington. He's now fourth in the league overall in blocks this season. And the reason why he's popping on people's radars is not only does he get so many blocks, but lately he's been getting some points. He has five points in his last eight games, which is great for a defenseman, especially great for someone who's giving you so many blocks. Brian, is there any chance that these points can keep up? Because that would definitely make him, that would make him like a Francois Beauchemin type who was giving blocks and also giving points. But like, Alzner's really come out of nowhere with these points, and I'm just curious if that could keep up. Either way, he's probably worth owning if your league counts blocks because he's doing so much of it lately. He had a seven-block game against Rangers last week. Well, when you spend as much time on the ice as he does with the likes of Ovechkin, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, maybe even Marcus Johansson, you're bound to get a couple points here and there, and they have come in bunches lately. His career high in point scoring is 21 points. He managed that last year. This year, though, I mean, his block totals and his point totals have both gone up, likely due to the injury to Brooks Orpik that has taken him out of the lineup for a long time. And of course, he keeps being rumored to be close to a return, but it hasn't happened Yet, and until then, I feel like Alsner will be somebody you can count on at least for blocks. Like last year, he was only getting maybe two blocks a game on average. This year, it's closer to three. And over the last little while, like three or four comes to be the expectation in each game from Carl Alsner. So while I wouldn't really get hung up on the whole point production thing, if you need a guy who can get you blocks on a consistent basis and Alsner is available in your league, that would be a good play to catch up in that category. Yeah, though you don't want to go too crazy for him. Someone in my cupful league, the Kevin Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, they dropped Hampus Lindholm to pick up Alsner yesterday. And you know what? Lindholm actually, we mentioned with Fowler out that he might come on. And just want to mention quickly, you know, at first he wasn't on the top power play. Shea Theodore was getting that time. But now it looks like Lindholm is getting that spot on the top power play with Cam Fowler out. He's got three points in his last four games. Four shots on goal in his last game. And even providing some of those blocks. He's got eight blocks in his last three games. So... You know what? I'm putting a bid in on Lindholm, so the person who dropped him for Alsner, I think long run, they're going to regret that. It's worth mentioning for any slightly afraid Vatnin owners that he's still been producing all right, even with Lindholm's resurgence. They're both not putting up a ton of points on a consistent basis. It's sort of like every now and then they're able to cash in on the power play or at even strength as well. But we get the question a lot over the last couple of years, Vatnin or Lindholm. I'm not sure there's much to differentiate one from the other right now, except that Vatnin has been on that first unit longer. So we'll see how long Lindholm keeps seeing time in his current power play role. And since we're talking about some players that we haven't mentioned on the podcast yet this season, the Alzners and the Gudasses, let me throw another one out at you, but definitely a different type. Kevin Fiala, this is a really young player, 19 years old, was just called up by Nashville, and he's found himself right on the top line with Ryan Johansson and James Neal, a very nice place to be. He's played two games so far. He had a goal in his first game against Winnipeg on five shots on goal. Then he had three shots, no points, against Minnesota. But hey, if you're playing with Johansson and James Neal, that seems awesome. And Johansson, by the way, has been fantastic since arriving in Nashville. Fiala has also gotten some power play time for himself. So he might be someone to look at if you're in a really deep league. And I'm guessing if you're in a league that has prospects, you probably already have him on your radar. Like, who is this guy, Brian? Is he a prospect that people should be expecting to do well one day? I still remember Kevin Fiala as a guy like two and a half years ago, Elon, just as we were starting the podcast We had a listener email about Kevin Fiala, and I was stumped at the time, like I knew a little bit about him, but didn't really know what to answer in terms of his long-term projection. And finally, maybe now we're going to start getting a sense of what he can do in the NHL. So far this year in the AHL, he has a respectable 21 points in 34 games played for Milwaukee. He is a former first-round pick, 
was drafted 11th overall in 2014. And it's about time he got his NHL cup of coffee. He's still young, so I don't know that this is going to be a really extended turn or even a very representative turn of what he can do in the future. I think this might just be to get a taste of the NHL. But while he's on that top line, it'll be really fun to see what he can do. Yeah, I like it when teams bring a player in and put them right on the top line. It's fun. and gives someone new for us fantasy guys to talk about. But by the way, I mentioned Ryan Johansson. He has seven points in five games with Nashville. So let that sink in for all of you people who were worried about Johansson with Columbus. Hopefully you held on because it looks like his future is very bright with the Nashville Predators. Brian, okay, we really have to end the show. Just a few really quick cuts here. I want to talk about the St. Louis Blues. They have some players who are jumping onto the radar. Patrick Berglund, he was injured for a long time. He came back. He actually has four points in his last three games, is on a nice little run. And also, Vladimir Tarasenko has been playing on a line with Yori Letera and Robbie Fabry, and both of them are definitely reaping the rewards. Letera, five points in his last four games. Fabry with four points in that span. And a golden assist yesterday against Montreal. So obviously anyone playing with Tarasenko is going to do well. So in the short term, those are guys to look at, though. Come on, I wish I could just put Steen, Tarasenko, and Stasny back together because I have Steen and Stasny in a couple of my pools. Well, I think you should just be happy that Steen is not injured. Remember, he sort of left the game and then was day-to-day, but he was able to play again the next game. So count your lucky stars, Elon. Okay, and before we stop, I've got a couple quick players myself. First off, in Long Island, I don't want to alarm anyone, but Ryan Strom is hitting the score sheet on a semi-regular basis. He's been playing lately with John Tavares and Mikhail Grabowski, and he has a goal and five assists for six points in his last ten games. And I'll close it out with another player who you might have rostered at some point this season but had been quiet for a very long time. Jake Muzzin of the LA Kings has a six-game point streak going, has seven points in his last eight games played, and four of those have come with the man advantage. So if anybody got impatient with him, you might want to add him and see if you can still collect on the tail end of this run he's on. You know, Brian, I might actually disagree with you a little bit there on Muzzin. I don't think he's just on a little run. I think he's like a really solid fantasy defenseman to own. He now has 22 points in 43 games on the year. That's over a half point per game pace. He's on the top power play. I think you should grab him. And even if he's slow for a couple of games, still hold on. I like him. As long as he's on that top power play, I like having Jake Muzzin. Okay, maybe run wasn't the right word to use, but it kind of looks that way after you see that in the 15 games prior to this little stretch, he had only hit the score sheet in three of them. Mind you, two of those were multi-point games, but I'm sure to fantasy owners it looked like he was not doing a whole lot for them, but now he has 30 shots over these last 10 games, which is another impressive number. He shouldn't be a free agent. Maybe someone got frustrated with a bunch of goose eggs time and time again from him in that little stretch. But yeah, he should be rostered. This is more than a little run. I mean, he's not going to continue a point streak for the rest of the season, but I think he is a safe bet for 40 points. Agreed. And you know, now that I'm looking at the LA Kings roster, Brian, did you know that Marion Gaborik's been playing on a line with Vincent LeCavalier and Trevor Lewis? I know you have Gaborik still in the couple. He's like on the, it's looking like the fourth line right now, or maybe Brown, Jordan Nolan, or Nick Shore is the fourth line. I don't know. By the way, Vincent LeCavalier, since he got traded to LA, he actually scored a goal yesterday. He also had an assist on his first game there. I don't know. Don't, don't pick up Vincent LeCavalier, but I'd be worried about Marion Gaborik. Okay. That is the end of the show. This has been so fun. Thank you for coming to Toronto to record with me. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, let us know. At Keeping Carlson, you could follow us there. You could tweet at us. We're also happy to help you with your fantasy hockey questions and conundrums. If you would be so kind as to give us a five-star review on iTunes, that's always very much appreciated. We might even read them on the show like we did earlier today. But no, actually, we won't do that. That would be annoying. 
But okay, clearly I'm rambling. So let's cue that outro music. And Brian, read us the credits. All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Hockey Analysis, War on Ice, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, ESPN Fantasy Hockey, and Frozen Pool. Great job, Brian. Let's go get brunch. And we'll be back with another episode next week. All right, and until next time, keep on keeping Carlson.